Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Bereans Bible Prophecy Podcast. This is Bob McLaren in Nashville, Tennessee, coming to you on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2019. I've spent quite a bit of the holidays consuming prophecy content from uh, various places and sources, none of them that you would know primarily. Uh, I tend to track and travel within unknown folks that are on YouTube and on the internet looking for uh, people who, like I've said in the past, looking for people who think outside the box and have fresh eyes on things. And I guess the main reason that I'm coming to you with this episode is, again, just run into so many people that will have a good idea, but they lack objectivity or some reasonable discipline in forming forming a conclusion and they get off into extremes and it always leads to error. Not that I know all the truth, but um, it is so frustrating and discouraging to see people end up in the ditch and, and many of them end up in the same conclusion, you know, America's Mystery Babylon, and maybe it is, but there's an awful lot of scripture that refutes those conclusions. And uh, so I just kind of made a list of areas where people just get so far off track. And if they would just step back and use a little, first of all, use scripture, reason, logic, common sense, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you, the big picture has to make sense. Whatever, you're, whatever truth you're working with, science, uh, religious truth, uh, math, uh, anything, politics, whatever truth that you are uh, trying to form, using to form a conclusion, the big picture has to make sense as well as all the details have to align. And particularly when we're talking about scriptural truth, it all has to line up. You can't cut any corner. Episode one, you cannot cut your corners in the search for truth. And just some of the things I've seen are these guys on the internet. I mean, I've only seen it regarding translations, Bible translations, you know, you've got every extreme. I guess there's only one extreme. They're all weighted to one end about, you know, KJV only as if, as if English is inspired. I mean, just step back and think about that, that a translation is, is inspired when you can go to, and I'm not talking about commas and periods and all that. I'm talking about you can go to the Greek and look at the English, even within the wonderful King James. It's a wonderful translation. Uh, I'm not one of the KJV owners, only ers, <laughs> but uh, 
you can look and see where they were either biased or missed it. And it doesn't take a PhD to see these things. I mean, uh, thank, thank the Lord for tools like eSword and uh, all the other uh, just phenomenal, especially Strong's Concordance. Uh, you know, all of the wonderful tools that allow us to quite easily uh, research on, on words and, and see where, you know, translators, they didn't use the same word in English for the exact same word in Greek. And they do it quite frequently. And you can't do that. I don't care what PhD argues uh, for that case. You can't. The only reason they would do that is for bias. They think something should be translated a specific way, and they can't get there in the Greek, so they have to push it one way or the other in the English. And, I mean... I've got a video on my YouTube site. If you search for Robert McLaren, uh, there's a video. It's hardly got any views. It's probably a reason for that. Uh, but I talk about how in the KJV and many other translations where they changed the phrase, the faith of Christ, into, into faith in Christ. And the KJV primarily uses the faith of Christ. And if you go to the Greek, again, you don't have to be a scholar, but it is explicitly plain as day written, Christ faith or the faith of Christ. And yet translators blatantly change it to faith in Christ. Now I'm talking about translations other than the KJV. There's still one or two places where KJV translators twisted it there, but uh, and I've and I've got uh, papers where I've cataloged all these changes. Um, again, they're just trying to get to a, a a conclusion a conclusion that they can't support with the Greek there, and so the translation shifts it more favorably towards what they believe because they can't stand what the conclusion is in the Greek. And so for somebody to die on that soapbox that the KJV is inspired by God, they, they have no clue what they're talking about. And that includes PhDs if there are some of those. But uh, I, I doubt seriously that any would. But uh, it just shows... Unfortunately, it shows that they lack any, any uh, balance or credibility in, in, or capability in studying the Bible. So uh, that's not prophecy, but it certainly affects your prophecy study. Um, again, I primarily use the KJV because of the Strong's numbers. That is the easiest way for me to cross-track verses and do comparisons, things like that. And then I jump off. Once I see the verses that are all 
tied together by a common Greek word or phrase, then I can jump to other translations and see how they're breaking those things down. But if you're trying to do a Bible study in English, you're probably going to run into a ditch if it is, um, if there's, if, if you think there aren't critical issues that are affected by this, read Galatians, read Romans, and in the KJV, and then go to your supposed the most conservative translation out there, the NASB. It is the worst. And let me tell you, I used to love it. I, I used to love it because I thought it was the most conservative. And what I found out is it's the worst offender of them all in robbing Christ of what he accomplished through his faith, not your faith. So that's what modern Christianity, it, it just, it uses or uh, it... Uh, it subsidizes its belief that your faith will accomplish salvation. Belief is, trust me, belief is critical. Belief is very important. Your belief in the truth, in the gospel. But your belief doesn't save you. It was the faith of Christ and his work at the cross that saved us. It's hard to it's hard to uh, connect all the dots with everything else we claim we believe, but those things are absolutely rock solid in the Greek. So, and there's and it's not just one verse. There's you know a dozen. So anyway, spent too much time on the KJV and translations. It's just an example of people taking an extreme and then they can't get back to the truth. So remember I've said, if there are so many points, so many critical points of failure in, in Bible study and especially Bible prophecy, that if you miss one thing, you're, you're gone so you you have to fight the urge to form a really detailed conclusion you know where you start naming names of people and and uh who judgment is coming down on you know you can have an idea for now i believe but you just can't point the finger at guys like Erdogan and the pope and all this uh, and Trump all these things, because you're only going to be, you'll only see your own failure. And how do you get back there? Because there are people writing books on all these conclusions. So, you know, other examples that it, like arguments on the Trinity, I've got friends, great friends in both camps and in neither camp. But, uh, I mean, we just have to step back. Obviously, Scripture shows three viewpoints, a father, a son, and a spirit. But we're, we're still, we're talking about words of men trying to describe, and yes, they're inspired, but words of men trying to describe 
a God that no man has seen face to face. No man has seen face to face. Christ representing his Father, the full representation of his Father in the flesh. And yet no man, no man has seen God. Um, you know, how do you, how do you take a stand on something that you're on a hill that you're going to die on over that? And, you know, does it matter? Um, and yet people, people do. Um, there are many, another item, many great people that have come to a conclusion where they avoid wrath in the Bible altogether. They just completely write it out, and there's a lot in Revelation. Uh, it's written about Paul. Paul explicitly talks about it twice. Uh, more than that, but word for word, he mentions a specific phrase uh, twice and uh, talks a lot about wrath in Romans. You've got, so you can't, you can't redefine wrath. Um, I will say that wrath is when you step back and look at all of Scripture, there's ample, ample evidence in Scripture to show that wrath is not solely punishment. It is just. It is beneficial. It's merciful. It produces uh Maturity, Isaiah says that uh, all the inhabitants of the earth will learn righteousness. That is an amazing scripture. It's never happened before. Hasn't happened yet. Now, you've got another, the majority of Christianity is in an eternal hell. There's probably a smidgen that are annihilationist which recognize that there's something wrong with the combination of all those irreconcilable truths or two immovable objects, uh, eternal mercy and eternal conscious torment. And I won't get into it right now, but, you know, a lot of people that just have to ignore In an incredible amount of scripture to support eternal hell. And again, they're supporting it in English. And you cannot support, I'll say this, you can't take a stand on anything in the English translation. You've got to go to the Greek and specifically Strong's will help you to see what hell uh, how it's presented in the Greek, how many times it's presented in the Greek, actually, how many words are are used to express it in Greek versus English. It's a real eye-opener. And there's hundreds of studies on YouTube that uh, that are out there. They've already done the work for you. They're legitimate. They do not cut any corners. You... Uh, um, I don't believe they're biased. I believe most people just don't even examine it because they are biased. 
So uh, it would suit you to look at a study on hell and the word aeon. Um, other, other theories and extremes, all these Jesuit theories and stuff. I mean, you'd have to be a Catholic expert before you could ever open a, a Catholic history expert to uh, before you could ever study the Bible or study Bible prophecy. I mean, it just makes no sense logically. Uh, some of these details could never be proved, but, you know, you've got some guy who wrote about it, therefore it is true, and everybody else uses him. I mean, that's what pastors do uh, as far as quoting. One guy has to quote, once he quotes something, everybody else requotes it as a fact and, you know, builds upon that. But when you fact check, you see, oh, that probably isn't the case. Uh, touch back on a Bible prophecy extreme, Mystery Babylon. Most of the guys that have been read, uh, watching their content on YouTube, very good ideas, a lot of good, fresh thought, but they all end up in the, in my opinion now, in the ditch because they, they miss a single detail or two and, and in a rush to form a conclusion, you know, they'll end up that the United States is Babylon and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And again, mystery Babylon, or the, or I should say that whatever the beast system is, obviously is going to be multinational. But when we're talking about specifically mystery Babylon and its involvement and whatever it is tightly integrated to. For me, there's two stakes you cannot pull out of the ground, and that is the merchandising, which is tied directly to the elements of the temple, the colors, and yes, Catholicism has some of it, but the rest of it, the spices and the implements and the the uh, colors and all that, it's a hundred percent Old Testament temple. Hundred percent. Now that's one stake you can't pull out of the ground and, and move to any other country. You can't move it to New York City or, you know, Mecca, Rome. It, it, you can't. Now here's the other stake you can't pull out of the ground. And that's Revelation 11, 7 and 8. And when they shall have finished their testimony, it's talking about the two witnesses, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Now get this, where also our Lord was crucified. Now if you do a study on that phrase, the great city, it's, it's talking about Mystery Babylon slash Jerusalem. And it, it ties Mystery Babylon to Jerusalem through that phrase, the great city, and through this Sodom and Egypt statement, where also our Lord was crucified. 
Now, you can find plenty of other candidates for Mystery Babylon if you're going to ignore this scripture, but you can't. And yet I see it over and over. And in fact, I just got through watching some guy, you know, he had a great presentation on Mystery Babylon, aggregating all the attributes and the details and all this. And he's striking out all the candidates, you know, like Mecca doesn't fit, Rome doesn't fit. And I thought, this guy's getting it. He really sees it. And and then he gets to uh, Jerusalem and he says, well, there are many that line up as far as details and attributes that line it up with Mr. Babylon, but it can't be a candidate because um, it is, what was this? I think he actually stated because of the merchandise and because Mystery Babylon and Jerusalem, Mystery Babylon burns while Jerusalem still exists. So the only way that could be the case is if he's got a timeline that shows the destruction of Mystery Babylon is concurrent with the existing of Jerusalem. So let's go with that. If that's the case... If Mystery Babylon is destroyed and it isn't Jerusalem, so these two great cities and systems exist, what are you going to do with Revelation 11, 8? The city, that great city where also our Lord was crucified. See, he's, he's pulling he, or he's, he's ignoring or throwing scripture out that you can't get around until you get greater light. Now, this is one of those, I just don't see where you would get light that would refute that, unless you unless you had God himself come down and said, I didn't mean exactly what I was saying. I, I meant that as some spiritual thing and blah, blah, blah. It, it's ridiculous how you would have to arrive at a conclusion by either ignoring or tossing out Scripture happens every day and this guy's conclusion was it's america and it goes back to the same reasons that every other guy on the internet that says america is mystery babylon it's because of our wickedness our abortion the homosexuality hollywood you know you could say slash politics you know i don't like the politics of Hollywood, but that doesn't make me think America is mystery Babylon because of it. But here's one thing I wanted to know for sure. I want because they always quote Ruth Graham. You know, God owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't, you know, deal with the United States. Something, a phrase, something to do with that, and uh, it and. Uh, maybe that's true. Like I always say, maybe that's the truth. But let me tell you what the current facts on abortion are right now. If abortion is one of the reasons why you would conclude that America is Mystery Babylon. Now, again, we'll all, all nations will be judged, but I'm talking about Mystery Babylon. Right now, the United States 
is at its lowest abortion rate in history since it became legal. It's at 13 and a half births out of 1,000 end in abortion. That doesn't include miscarriages. It's down 8% from 2014. Down 8%. 13 and a half births out of 1,000 births end in abortion. And I believe 88% of those are in the first 12 weeks. Now, let me tell you what the rest of the world is. It's three times that. It's 35%. Or, I'm sorry, 35 out of 1,000. 35, so not 35%. 35 births out of 1,000 in the world end in abortion. And it's increasing. I believe it went up 8%. So America's trending in the opposite direction. And I I, I wonder if it's due to economics, because primarily it's the poor. Um, I'm not casting blame. I'm just saying when you look at the statistics, it tends to be 75 percentile of those making 15000 or less in a two, uh, two-person household. So we've certainly, America has certainly seen a tremendous economic increase in the last three, four years. And I believe that certainly benefits uh, those making that decision. And we ought to be thankful. We ought to be grateful. We're certainly, there's certainly some tremendous organizations working to uh, change hearts and minds, uh, something that laws will never do. But um, and I, I applaud them. But I only bring this fact in because it's, it's in every uh, YouTube presentation, how wicked and evil uh, America is. And I, we have our share, certainly. Um, there's, there's no doubt the injustice and evil and perversion and wickedness. Um, you know, maybe you can make the case it all came out of America and it's infecting the world. I don't know. I, I don't really believe that. Um, but, you know, again, just, just fact-checking. Uh, and again, all nations will be judged. So, uh, and here's another statement that Jesus makes about judgment. And he's talking to, uh, the disciples as a synonym now, not the 12, but the 70, uh, and whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake shake the dust off your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now he's talking about those who would mistreat those bringing the gospel. So what do you do with that? You know, eh, I'm not trying to justify the good of America. I'm just trying to look at it with unbiased eyes and America for a hundred years was uh, the launching pad for 
the gospel around the world. Uh, I'm not saying it, I'm not, I won't jump off into too deep, but I'm not saying it's the gospel I think it is, but they were uh, with best intentions spreading the gospel, what they knew to be the truth um, around the world. Uh, other crazy, extreme, I'll, th- I'll keep crazy, just extremes that are uh, the British Israelism. I've seen guys present great truth on one hand, and then out of the other hand or the other side of their mouth, they're into all the British Israelism. And I'm like, what? I mean, there's no way to, uh, there's no way to prove any of this stuff. Uh, except by quoting, you know, one guy writes a book about it and everybody else references that guy. And it's all circumstantial, very sketchy. There's always tons of gaps. And, and when you step back, there's no way you could ever build a case on any of this stuff. Um, how about another wonderful prophecy topic of, of uh, the Nephilim? You know, we've got one verse... And, Trust me, I'm completely interested in this stuff. I'm fascinated by the Nephilim in Genesis 6 and what all could have potentially happened and all that. But there are people writing whole books, whole books, and have whole ministries, ministries dealing with the Nephilim. And because of that, they bias everything they see and so that everything in the end end times has to do with aliens and nephilim and hybrids and transhumanism and all and you know there's enough of that stuff on the edge to keep that narrative going but there's just not enough there to form any conclusion whatsoever especially when you've got plain as day evidence right in our face that people ignore every day. And uh, again, it's just frustrating. Um, And then back to, uh, I'll just say, I'll say preterism, but it's technically not only preterist because I've seen other people use these arguments, but basically the arguments that all prophecy was already fulfilled at 70 AD. And I think I've already been over some of this stuff, but, um, you know, I've got three arguments against preterism before I even get to scripture. And again, scripture, there may be, there may be some scripture that supports it, but for every one, there's probably three or four that refute it. And yet people always come back with, yeah, but what about this verse? What about this verse? And I'm like, well, deal with the other 10 that dispute your one verse before you come back with another verse. So one verse doesn't make it right. They all have to be right. They all have to jive together. But people refuse it. Again, it just goes back to whatever you want to believe, you believe it. And 
I don't want to be in that place. I don't. I'm open to everything. I'm open to hearing everyone's argument until they start refusing truth that's right there in plain sight. And I'm talking about indisputable indisputable truth. I'm not talking about ambiguous, spiritualizing things and all this. Uh, back to those that are in preterism and other offshoots of it that aren't technically preterism. But here are three things that just shoot it down right out of the gate. And, and that is, in all of the books that speak to latter days, a.k.a. prophecy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Thessalonians 1 and 2, and Revelation. The the summary of this narrative is that those who love Jesus should flee, for many will be oppressed, persecuted, martyred. And then at Christ's return, those who do the oppressing and persecuting and and kill on behalf of religion, they will be judged and destroyed or receive destruction at Christ's return. That's the gist. Not getting in the detail yet, but that's the overall summary of Matthew, Mark, Luke, first and second Thessalonians, and Revelation. That's how it, I don't see how you can argue against that. A lot of people get oppressed who don't uh, you know, either flee. Jesus certainly gives you all these warnings in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, when you see these things, run to the hills, run to the mountains, get the hell out. And, you know, so it's a warning. And then those that are left behind or those that the, the beast conglomerate, whatever you want to call it, system, are able to cast its net over, which is primarily the world, you know, if you don't comply, you're you're persecuted and martyred. And then at the end of Christ, when he returns, Babylon is judged, destroyed, all the nations are judged, and all those who did that oppressing are are received destruction. Nobody can argue that, I hope. So if that's true, Let's hold this up against 70 AD and preterism and those in that camp. If that's true, what I just talked about in the summary, then why wasn't Rome destroyed? You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying uh, fade away. I'm saying utterly destroyed as it is pictured in Revelation, and that is because Christ didn't return. I don't care how you spiritualize it, who quoted it, if Josephus said it, whatever. He must have missed it because if Rome didn't go down, then something's wrong with the theory. Now, that's one. So you say, oh, I got an answer for that. I got 10 answers for that. Maybe you do. Let's go to number two. Uh In 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem was crushed by Rome because of the rebellion of the Jews, not because the Jews were followers of Jesus. 
And even the 70 ADers, the preterists supposedly say, well, the Christians supposedly fled out of there. They heeded the warning, which is Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They don't dispute that. Oh, yeah, Jesus was giving them a warning to get out of there. And so the Christians fled. Well, yeah, they, you know, so what if they did? Uh, Rome crushed Jerusalem because they didn't comply. It had nothing to do with because they were worshiping Christ. Now, you know, you they, again, they can make the argument, well, they were using the temple, you know, blah, blah, blah. They didn't like it. In, in Christ's time, evidently, Rome didn't have any issue with the temple worship as long as they weren't rioting, rebel, rebelling, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it just doesn't line up. It doesn't, the details don't support the case. It only works at 50,000 feet, but when you get in and you see and you focus in on the details, the case just blows up in their face. And then the third point, if Jesus's main point in the Olivet Discourse was to warn his followers when to flee Jerusalem, then what the hell did John need 22 chapters of symbolism and endless minutiae of details about seals, trumpets, bowls, a false prophet, a beast with ten horns and seven heads and crowns on the heads and seven mountains, horns and little horns, the mark of the beast, mystery Babylon and her merchants, ships, the abyss, the scorpions, the 30 minutes of silence in heaven, the darkened sun, the blood moon, the frogs, dried up rivers, New Jerusalem, the jeweled gate, on and on and on, all to allegorize and symbolize all that detail. Are you kidding me? It Something that Paul said in in uh, a couple of verses, John took 22 chapters of this crazy LSD experience. Is that what you're painting this as? I mean, it's just ludicrous. So I hate, I hate being this forward with people in this camp because, again, nobody will change their mind. Nobody's going to change their mind based on the truth. They are where they want to be for whatever their reasons are. And I think I know why preterists are where they are. I just, I don't think, I, I know where they are. Why I know why they're there in that camp. I just, I don't want to go into it right now. I, it, it feels harmful enough to poke and press when there, I just don't think there are that many people in this camp, but it frustrates me so much to see ignoring so much logical content and it, it all just gets flushed away through symbolism and algorithm at 50,000 feet. And these three, these three points I've raised we're not even into scripture yet. There's probably 
dozens of scripture or more that directly refute it, but somehow, some way, it all got fulfilled in 70 AD. So uh, I'll leave with that. Um, 40 minutes is long enough. Uh, hope you have had a great Christmas. Hope you have an, an even greater 2020. Uh, may God richly bless you and primarily with the truth. Lord, please bless us all. We want the truth with an open heart. See ya.